0: Good morning, church. I want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 of Acts chapter 6 this morning. If you have a Bible, make sure you turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there is a paperback Bible near you. We'd love if you grab that and follow along. This morning, we're going to jump right into the reading of the Scripture this morning. We're going to continue our series in the book of Acts, as we consider the witnesses that God has established to bear witness to none other than himself and his gospel. And as the Spirit himself also bears witness to Christ. Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7. Follow along with me. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number a complaint by the Hellenists, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and I pray that in the midst of the reading of your word, in the meditation upon your word, the explanation of the word, that your spirit would work and that you would apply your word to us, that we would remember your gospel, that... What we know of your scriptures and as we come to know it more would come to mind and it would affect our heart and it would come out in our faith-filled deeds. Thank you, Lord. We trust you that you would work the miracle of transformation of your church this morning by our being filled with your word. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your good name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. passage this morning begins with some simple words, but profound and miraculous. Verse 1, it says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, the disciples were increasing in number, the church was growing, right? There were people who did not previously believe, who are hearing the ministry of the word, and they are coming to believe. The We see what's taking place as we look at the context. If you look at the verse that comes just before it in chapter 5, verse 42, it says, And every day, so this is their daily practice, what is the routine of the church? And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is crucial for us this morning. The true church of Jesus, from the very beginning, had a singular growth strategy. What is the church growth strategy? What is the means by which disciples would be added to their number? We are a people who preach and teach the word, specifically the gospel of Jesus, who is the Christ. Now... Back about seven and a half years ago, Sandy and I arrived in Vieira in Brevard County, and we came here to plant a church. Okay, I came here as a church planter. But from the beginning, we have been clear in our understanding that the only way that we could plant the church is if we would first plant the gospel and pray that God would grow up his church. And there's a simple reason why because the church belongs to God. And according to his revelation, according to his word, the church is a creature and a product of the word preached. So we preach the gospel and God, by means of miraculous transformation and the increase in our growth and the gospel, he plants his church. If the disciples were ever to increase in number, we must hold up the teaching of Jesus that we might actually become disciples of whom? Jesus, right? If we hold up something other than Jesus, this is what we would become a disciple of. Oh, disciples will be made, but we desire to be a church, and the church are disciples of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ must be preached that we might be followers of him. Whatever it means to make disciples, it must mean the proclamation of the Word. Now, in the midst of this, in the midst of the preaching of the Word, and from house to house, not ceasing to teach and preach Jesus, disciples are increasing in number, and a complaint arose. Friends, growth in the church is both a beautiful thing and one of the most difficult things that can happen in a church, right? We see these two things happen hand in hand over and over again, that there's growth and an establishment, an increase in ministry and trial and complaint. It's not the first time we've seen that pattern in the scriptures. You might remember that when the Israelites gathered on the other side of the Red Sea, as God has established a congregation of people that he's calling to the worship of himself, it didn't take long for those same people to begin to complain about the leadership that they didn't have food. The same thing is happening here, isn't it? The complaint here seems to rise up, and it rises up to the level of the leadership, the level of the leadership of the apostles. And the apostles reply in such an important way. I think it's at the center of the reason why Luke would record this for us in Acts. The apostles reply with a dogged, unwavering commitment to the things that must be central to the ministry of feeding The sheep. The apostles, they are interested doggedly in the feeding of the sheep. That is, after all, what the Lord Jesus had commissioned the apostle Peter to. Feed my sheep. Jesus told him three times. But to feed the sheep means to serve up the word to seek the Lord for his purpose and his work in the midst of the congregation. It must, therefore, fall to others to tend to the daily ministry of the needs of the people. The first work of the church and its leaders is to feed the sheep the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if they had neglected the word in prayer here, there would be no church. Do you get that? We are at the, the very beginning, right? And if they say, oh, there's a complaint. The, the food's not being distributed, right? Let us leave behind the word for it'll just be a moment. And go tend to that complaint, friends. There would be other complaints, Right? Because as soon as complaints begin to receive the first priority, others will make complaints that they themselves and their desires and their needs and what they think is of great importance will begin to complain. And they would never go back to the word and there would be no church. But the apostles were faithful. You see, the bellies of the congregation would be full, but their spirits would be empty of the proclamation of Jesus Christ. How do we know that there would be no church? Because there would be no disciples. For without the word, without the word, there is no discipleship. And yet, in the middle of that reality, a commentator says this, Most importantly, however, the present context suggests if Decisive action had not been taken to deal with the social issue disturbing the church. Growth of the word may not have continued. It seems that there is a relationship between faithfulness to the word and faithfulness to care for the daily needs of the congregation. There is a priority, a preeminence of the word and gospel ministry in the midst of the people, but if you do not take care of the daily needs of the people, there seems to be a relationship between these two things. You'll see that because you'll see that the whole passage is flanked by growth. A growth that begins with the preaching of the word and continues with a very wise action on the part of the apostles. You'll see it in just a moment. Here's what I hope that we would get here this morning. This morning I'd like to hold out for you six marks of a healthy church. Six marks of a healthy church. Now, one of the things you may or may not know is that we are part of a family of churches called the Crosspoint Network of Churches. And we are, uh, one of the things that we get from that network and are very blessed by is, is the lead pastors of those churches gather uh, together via video chat uh, once a week. And we talk about the scriptures that we are studying and the passages that we are preaching together in the coming weeks. And a few weeks ago, we were talking about this passage, from Pastor Jamie Vizzini, that I often learn a great deal from during the course of our conversations together. He mentioned five marks of a healthy church. And so I've taken some of those as well as a, a couple ways to uh, adjust those to perhaps the way that we would... Need to see some things this morning at Crosspoint Coast. And I want to share them with you this morning. Six marks of a healthy church. The first mark is this. A healthy church maintains the word and prayer at the center of its ministry. A healthy church maintains the word and prayer at the center of its ministry. Look at verse 2 with me. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. I think you could put it this way. I think you could almost put a period in that sentence. And it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word, period. It doesn't matter what comes after it. It is not right that something else would supplant the the primacy and the the centrality of the Word of God in the ministry of the apostles. I love the clarity of the statement. They clarify it again in verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word, they say. Now this has... Huge implications for us. It's a theme that runs its way throughout Acts and through the whole ministry of the church and through the whole testimony of the Bible about itself. I think a a wonderful way to put this, and I'm taking this straight from Pastor Steve Timmis. He says this, it is the word that works. What is it that is doing work in our midst. It is the Word of God at work in the people of God applied by the Spirit of God that affects any transformation, growth, and increase in the midst of the church. We believe fundamentally that we must be centrally devoted to the Word of God, that we must exhibit this devotion in faith-filled prayer because it's the Word of God In the people of God by which anything godly would actually take place. Isn't that what we want, church? We want something godly to grow up in the church. And if we want something godly to grow up in the church, it must come from God. And what do we have from God? We have his own word. About every other thing, we can have no confidence that it's from God at all, right? But we know this is from God. Here's what Steve Timmons says. I think success in ministry is seeing the Word of God taken by the Spirit of God in the lives of the people of God. You hear that? The Word of God taken by the Spirit of God in the lives of the people of God and just changing them like that. That's how it works. Making them more like Christ. He continues, and non-believers being attracted by the corporate life of the church and seeing, listen, the gospel as the only explanation for what is going on and them responding in repentance and faith. Friends, if it's the word of God applied to the hearts of the people of God by the spirit of God and change takes place, we sing. We sing because he did it. We we say, the Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And if there's anything that beautiful that grows up in the midst of the congregation, it's obvious to all who see it that these people aren't cool. These people are not special, and there is very little to commend them to us, except God seems to be at work in their midst. And his word seems to be true. Those who see are also changed as the word of God is applied to the people of God by the spirit of God. Friends, that is, I don't think that there is a more central value at Cross Crosspoint Coast than that the gospel would be the only explanation. The only thing that we can think of, of why anything at all godly has happened here. Second, a healthy church ministers in both word and deed. Now, the first and the second mark that I'm sharing with you today are not opposed to one another. There is a primacy to the word of God. It's true, but a healthy church ministers in both word and and deed. The word is essentially and preeminently primary, but it is the word itself that, that compels us to active, generous, and good deeds. If the word is at work, the people will be at work. Do you see it? If the work is affecting the transformation of the people of God, the people of God will be so transformed that we are about the things of God. The apostles see that the daily distribution of food is necessary. It's good. It's right. It's, it's not the central ministry of the word and prayer, but it's a necessary implication and duty of the church from that word. You see, it's because the word is prime and central that there must be a daily distribution. Let me put it this way. Daily distributions... Don't save anybody. Not one person can be convicted of sin. Not one person can repent or be forgiven and redeemed because somebody gave them service of food. But it's right there in the midst of generosity and love that a robust ministry of the word can rise up and flourish in the hearts of those who are gathered in the midst of that good deed. The word teaches that if there is no generosity and no love, the ministry of the word would fall upon neglected ears and be meaningless chatter. You hear that? Some of you might be scratching your head. Is that really true? I mean, if, if the word is, is primary, is it really true that if you don't also have deeds, the word winds up being just meaningless chatter? I mean, isn't it still the word? Well, let's check. First Corinthians 13.1 If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. To be clear, the passage does not say, therefore, just love people. It doesn't say that. The the word, the proclamation, whatever it is that these tongues of men and angels are saying about the gospel of Jesus Christ must still be there, but it must be accompanied by a people transformed by that word. The word becomes an annoyance, something to avoid or even shut up if it doesn't also produce love and generosity in the lives of those who proclaim it. The disciples in this passage have such great wisdom to maintain the centrality of the proclamation ministry of the word, while also maintaining the integrity of that ministry by seeing to its necessary implications. You see, there's an integrity issue at play here. If the word has integrity, it must affect change and generosity and love among the people. Perhaps you've heard the verse in James 1.27. It's a powerful verse. It's well quoted. In 1.27 it says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's good stuff. That's a strong rebuke for many of us throughout history in the church. Essentially, James is saying that true religion will produce generosity and holiness. I mean, sometimes we're like, yeah, generosity. But we forget that it says to keep oneself unstained from the world. The word will produce generosity and holiness. But what's interesting is we also forget the context that that verse is in. Just a couple verses before it, and then continued in an illustration all the way through verse 27. In James 1.22, it says this, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Do you hear it? The word is still central, isn't it? The word has to be heard. The word has to be central and proclaimed. The word is still central. It is the effective means of our hope and our transformation. But it must be effective to bring about transformation or else it is only effective to condemn us as disobedient and hardened by sin. Well, the word's going to be effective. It's going to be effective every single time. When the word goes out, it does produce fruit. It will either produce a transformed life or one who stands condemned under that word. The word must lead to a transformed life where we can be sure that we have not received the word with faith. It might be more appropriate to say that a healthy church ministers in, in the word and faith full expectation that faith-filled deeds must quickly follow. And so may that be us. May, that be, may we be a people who, who minister the Word and keep the Word of God as central and primary in all of our priorities. But may we do so in the expectation that there would be implications played out in a variety of circumstances in the lives of the people of God. A healthy church ministers in word and deed. Third, a healthy church appoints ministry leaders for the right reasons. I appreciate these words in the passage. In verse 3, it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. Love those words. But it's important that we not misunderstand those words. It doesn't mean men of great popularity. This isn't a high school student council vote. All right. These are people who have a reputation, but their reputation is to be about the things of God and to act wisely as a result. That's a pretty cool reputation. What a thing to be. Known by. And what a thing for a people to gather around and behind and to put forward in their midst. There are two aspects to the health of the appointment of these men in this passage. The first is the apostles discerned that to set aside these men to this duty because it was a means by which they could see to the importance of of the need to maintain the integrity of the word. They saw to the the wisdom of seeing the word continue to play out in the generosity among the people. There's wisdom in that on the part of the apostles. Secondly, the people put forward these men because they'd seen the wisdom of the Spirit at work in them and the word at work in their lives producing wisdom. There seems to be a desire on the part of the people to see the way of God and his kingdom flourish in their midst. It's not at the present time. There is a legitimate complaint that is rising up among the people. And then they look for someone that with, with the spirit and wisdom, with good reputation in their midst, to put them back on the way of the word of God, his gospel, his kingdom. And these men seemed like they were right for the job you find out very quickly in the coming chapters, they were definitely the right men for the job. Stephen, Philip. A healthy church appoints ministry leaders for the right reasons. Fourth, a healthy church equips and empowers the saints for the work of ministry. The passage says that they were full of spirit and wisdom. This mark of health is closely related to the previous one. I think it's evidence that the the word and prayer were really already at the center of the mission and application of the church, such that there were people in their midst who were filled with the Spirit and who walked in wisdom. How is it that these men were full of the spirit and wisdom? Why is it that the people were concerned first and foremost about spirit and wisdom? Let me put it this way. In a typical church culture, and some of you are going to be like, yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about. I've been around the church for a little while. In a typical church culture, influenced by the culture around us, a culture of fairness and representative government, would what would have happened is they'd say, why don't we find actually eight leaders? What we're going to do is we're going to find four representatives of the Hellenists. And we're going to find four representatives of the Hebrews. And then we're going to create a committee of nine. And one of the apostles will be the deciding vote between these two factions. And the job of the Hebrew delegates is to lobby for the concerns of the Hebrew widows. And the job of the Hellenists is to, to lobby for the concerns of the Hellenist widows. Let me tell you right now, I would not want to be the apostle on that committee. But I've been on that committee before. No, that's not the way the church functions. The church has to be shaped by the Word and the Spirit. Not by delegations, committees, constituents. And I just want to pause there and let, that, let sit in that for a second. I can... I can guarantee you there will be times during the course of the life of Cross Point Coast as we do different things, as we organize various ways, as we see to a variety of concerns, as we appoint leaders to various tasks, that there will be times in your heart where you say, I don't feel represented. That's that's in us. It's in our culture. We swim in it. And it's not necessarily a bad thing to ask. It's just not the first thing. The real question for us to ask is, are the people who lead us filled with the spirit and wisdom? That is, What I long for. The best search team, pastoral search team that I've ever seen take place was when the elders of the church that I was in at the time, who had been thinking, well, we should probably have people from the first service and second service. We should probably have probably three people who are, who are uh, senior citizens in the congregation. We probably have one youth delegate. Literally, they were outlining it like that and then trying to find a couple people from each of those places. We trashed the whole endeavor and said, who in our midst is wise? Who in our midst would we love to see our whole church grow up to be like? And we started asking those people, and they found us a wonderful pastor who has continued to this day to lead that church in Christ and his word. The apostles in the church have to be devoted to the teaching of Christ. And so it wasn't hard to look around and find a Seven people shaped by wisdom and filled with a spirit. I want you to note one more thing. It doesn't say that these seven men had a background in food service and catering. You notice that? (laughs) I mean, when was being filled with a spirit a great degree to have for distributing food? It doesn't say that they'd been trained in management. It says that they were men of spirit and wisdom. Let me tell you what that tells me. I'd rather have a man or a woman who has been thoroughly shaped by the word of God at the helm of any ministry in the church than any person who simply has the right degree or the right day job to fit. I think that's played itself out very practically in our congregation. It's in the midst of our directors. They are great examples of this. Let me just name a few. Tracy Harding, she's not our CP Kids Director because she's a teacher during the week. I can promise you that. There's one place that teachers don't want to be during the week, during on their weekends, right? Hanging out with a bunch of little kids. She is the CP Kids Director because she has shown a devotion to growth in Christ for seven years in our midst. She's gathered her family to celebration service and community group almost every week since we began. She's gathered to under for the purpose of discipleship in the word. She's labored to point the children of the church to Jesus every single week since we began. This is a woman who is filled with the spirit and wisdom. Consider David Bohannon, our worship director. None of them like this. We're going to do it anyway. We ought to consider those who have been wise among us, been examples of the faith. David Bohannon, our worship director, is a tremendous musician. He is. But from the very first time that we asked him, would you mind helping us? Just fill in one Sunday, just lead for us in the middle of some transition that we were in as a church. He's shown a devotion to a few things that are so essential. A devotion to see the gospel proclaimed. To see the congregation sing, not just display the band's talent. To sing songs that tell the same story as the scripture that's read, and the sermon that's preached, and the prayers that are prayed. He is a man that is filled with the Spirit And wisdom. James Rep, our productions director, isn't a guy who just loves sound and tech. He's a man who has a pastor's heart. He wants to see the behind the scenes details get out of the way of the elders and of the congregation so we can get busy about the business of celebrating Jesus and proclaiming the gospel. James Rep is a man who is full of the spirit and of wisdom. Joyce Rep, our Connections Director, isn't just a detail-oriented person. She's not just a person who is fun and easy to get along with. She wants to train up and encourage an en- entire congregation to be hospitable, truly hospitable. She wants to see us welcoming the stranger so that they actually feel like a guest. So it's not just a term that we use to make people feel better about the fact that we are truly glad you're here. She wants to see the church truly acting like a fellowship of believers. She's a woman who is full of the Spirit and of wisdom. I love these people. I love so many more people that have served in a variety of capacities, and they have done so not first out of their ability, their giftedness, or their skill set, but they have done so as a people who have been humbled by the Word. And they believe that God will work in the midst of whatever efforts they would put forth For the sake of Christ. Always being devoted to the word and filled with the spirit. It's essential. Fifth. A healthy church displays the power of the gospel through unity and diversity. In the passage, we hear of Hellenists and we hear of the Hebrews. The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. They were likely influenced in a number of ways by the Greek culture that surrounded and permeated the cities that were around them, whereas the Hebrews were those who were more grounded in both the language and the culture of the Israel. You might say the Hebrews had home court advantage in this case. Now... It's a beautiful thing that both of these groups were receiving from the same daily distribution. Now, they could have said, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we have the Hellenists and their donations be collected over here? And then we'll have the Hebrews and their donations be collected over here. Then there will be peace because there will be a wall between us. Seems fair. It would be fair but it wouldn't be beautiful. They wouldn't pay attention to the word and what the word has done in reconciliation. And if the word is at the center, we all have a singular devotion and a singular source of any generosity. Instead, the apostles and the people continue to make a central contribution and all were are receiving from this central generosity. What a beautiful testimony of the unifying and reconciling work of the gospel. Now, I want to note a few things that happened to bring this potentially divisive situation back to unity. First, the apostles maintained a commitment to the word. It would be easy to ask, isn't this just a, a question of simple math? Don't, don't we just simply administrate this? This is just an administrative Issue. The apostles say, no, there is no such thing as a simple administrative issue. We are going to be devoted to the Word, and we're going to look for people who are filled with the Spirit and wisdom to see to the situation. The apostles saw the real-life implications of the Word for the community, and the people chose to prioritize unifying wisdom rather than polarizing complaint here. Now, where the gospel remains central, we have a means to be reconciled. I've watched that play itself out I don't know how many times at cross Point Coast, and it's beautiful every time. But I'll tell you where the fight is. The fight is not to be reconciled. That's easy if Christ is preeminent because he's the one who does it. We don't have to reconcile ourselves. We don't have to fight for unity because Christ has reconciled us on his cross. You know where the fight is? To remember that it worked. To remember that it's still the central reality in the midst of our complaint and our sin. The fight in the church is to remember the gospel. The apostles were right to keep the word at the center because it was the only means by which these people could dwell together in unity. They believed the gospel actually works. It's the word of God and its increase among us. It's increase among us that binds us together. A healthy church displays the power of the gospel through unity in diversity. There's so many implications in that I'll just draw just one more. If we are going to put that on display, what our first fight will not be to be diverse. Friends, if you get two people in the room, you're already diverse. Spend a little bit of time together, somebody's going to have a complaint. The fight to put this on display is, first of all, a fight to remember Christ and his gospel. And as we remember that, you know what we're going to do? We're going to look around and we're going to say, there's some people who aren't here. As we believe that Jesus has sent us to the ends of the earth and to the highways and the byways of the culture, we're going to say there, according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there are people who aren't in our midst, and we have to go and get them. It's as we remember the gospel, as the word is central, that the Lord would work unity in increasing diversity. Sixth, a healthy church embraces change when change is needed. A healthy church embraces change when needed. There are a thousand reasons that the apostles, that what the apostles chose to implement might not have pleased the people, right? Some might have been disappointed that they weren't chosen to be part of the seven. They thought for sure they were filled with spirit and wisdom. Some might have lobbied for the two contributions method, dividing Hellenists and Hebrews. Some might have thought that things were fine just the way they were. Those were probably the Hebrews. But the apostles saw that change was needed. They acted quickly and decisively. And the people were pleased with both their continued devotion to the word and the way that they settled the complaint and the people who were put forward. Change is a constant reality in the church. Change is not in and of itself an indication that the centrality and the essential devotion to the word has changed. Change, in fact, sometimes, in fact, often it ought to be a direct result of the fact that the word has remained central in our midst. That if the word is central and informs us, it will transform Us, even the way that we go about things together. It's the nature of transformation. As we are centrally devoted to the word, it will effect change both in our hearts and in the way that we organize and the way that we minister together. Let me put it this way who wants to change? I don't want Cross Point Coast to be who it is today, tomorrow. I just want the Word to be at the center of it, and the Word to be the reason why that change took place. One of the things that I appreciate, I just want to share with you a struggle that is in my own heart, and I think it's a struggle that the elders share together. I love how quickly and decisively the apostles acted in this passage. One of the things that I think that we could confess, and I know I can confess myself, is we are not always quick and decisive. Just this morning I was joking around with someone in the congregation about how our ing, our the ongoing nature of the things that we're doing, not quite done yet, seems to be a really long ing. Sometimes it takes us a while to effect change. But I, I want you to know that one of the reasons why is we just... Don't want to change unless it is the word that has compelled that change. And that change is, has clear evidence that it is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's this struggle. There is a more decisive and a quicker action that is called for by the elders at Cross Point Coast sometimes. Just know that where we are wrestling is we are wrestling with the word to keep the gospel at the center. Now here's what happens at the end of the passage. Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. Look what happens when the leaders of the church prioritize the word and act in wisdom to see unity and generosity and impartiality that the word teaches worked out in the community. And the word of God continued to increase. The passage begins with the apostles in the end of chapter 5 as a people who are devoted to the word in its proclamation daily in the temple and house to house. It continues with apostles devoted to the word with a people being transformed and being led by people who are devoted to the spirit and to wisdom informed by that word. And what happens? The church continues to increase. As the same commentator that I mentioned earlier, Peterson, writes, the church, which is a creature of the word, grew. Where the word increases, the church is going to increase. I want to offer just a few notes before we close. Just a few notes. First, division and mistrust between peoples is very much alive today. I didn't have to say that. You know that. It's ripe. It's like one of our favorite news headlines these days. It's all over the place. I consider the tragic evil in the news today out of Pittsburgh, right? A man enters a synagogue to gun down people whom he himself had called an enemy of white people. Brothers and sisters, it is the ancestors of those Jewish men and women in that synagogue to whom God gave his word. It's through Jewish men and women that the gospel spread not only through Jerusalem and Judea, but to the ends of the earth. It is in the word of God that the church learns a better way of unity and peace through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. As we learn in our passage today, the church is not without complaints and potential divisions. It's in us too. It's not out there. It's not just in headlines. It's in our midst. The solution is singular, and it is to look to the primacy of the Word of God to discover how to walk in unity and peace together, transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second implication. We must consider not only generosity generally, and that's mostly how I've spoken today, though it's not actually how the passage spoke. We must consider the particular generosity of care taken here for widows. Tragedy and trial surrounds the plight of the widow. It's true. The scriptures have always been clear the, the, to call the people of God to love those who have suffered this way in our midst, and the call remains to this day. Let us continue to be creative. Creativity almost always means change. Let us continue to be creative and compassionate in our love for one another, and specifically the widow. I want to offer one note here. As a child of divorce, I know just how similar my mom's plight was After my father left her after 20 years, she had served in our home so faithfully and now she has no saleable skills, no way to make it in the world for her and her family. I got to see her plight of something very akin to widowhood right in the middle of my home, in the middle of our culture. But you know what else I got to see? I got to watch how many people in the church and how many churches gathered around my mom and my family and about how they they saw her off to college at 45 years old to begin to make a way for herself. There were many creative and compassionate things that took place upon our home so that we were changed. We were informed by the gospel that was compelling the people who ministered to us. And so, I hope that this passage is also a call to equip one another to minister love and care for those in our midst who suffer and are vulnerable. Third, the elders of the church are not apostles. Let's be clear. You're not apostles. But we have been entrusted with the apostles' teaching and a commission to be devoted to the same ministry of the word. The elders of Cross Point Coast, Mark Sladorn, Matt Hardy, Jeremiah Fife, and Joel Fair as an elder candidate. We want to commit to you, the church, this morning again to maintain the centrality of the ministry of the word and prayer. If God would do anything in our midst, it would be because the word of God is in our midst. And he is effecting change. He is working literally miracle in our midst as his word transforms hearts. May it be so that all who see any fruitfulness in our midst say, I can't explain that, except for God is among them. And his word seems to work. And may you, church, among those who are among you, step up to a variety of leadership challenges. You say, but... I'm not very good at that. That's cool. Do you have the Holy Spirit of God in you? Do you have the wisdom of the Word of God at your disposal morning after morning? Okay. Just checking. Let's get to work. Let's labor together in the same spirit and the same wisdom provided by the Word that the Word of God would continue to increase, that the number of disciples would multiply greatly, and that all who hear the Word would become obedient to the faith. Heavenly Father, we pray at the end of the message because we know that not even my preaching of the Word is effective. It is you, your word and your word applied to hearts by your spirit that is effective for change. So Lord, we ask you to do just that. We trust that what you do is good and right. And we trust that you would raise up all the more leaders in our midst filled and transformed by your spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us the wherewithal to pay attention to your word the faith to believe that it is true, and the joy of getting to see you work in our midst. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.